You are listening to the TSFM podcast. Don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk. You can subscribe to this podcast from there or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM. Hello and welcome to the TSFM podcast. In this episode, Big Pink chats to Scottish businessman David Lowe. David is best known for the part he played with Fergus McCann in wresting control of Celtic away from the White Kelly dynasty and for putting the club back on a sound financial and competitive footing. He was also involved with Clydebank in the days before it morphed into Airdrie United and spent some time in charge of Carlisle. In the last few years, whilst David Murray was still in charge of Rangers, David was approached by Rangers fans groups seeking his advice on taking control of that club. We spoke to David in his trendy West End bar and tried to put his Celtic experience into a wider context to make sense of the current problems facing Scottish football. David, Fergus McCann, you knew him very well, but what are the major differences between the Celtic crisis in the 90s and the, and the one that led to Rangers being liquidated? Well, the major difference between Celtic in the early 90s and Rangers a couple of years ago are the Rangers' debts are far higher than the Celtic debts at the time. Celtic's debt to the bank was about £5 million. It was in the form of an overdraft. Any overdraft with any company or any person is a loan from a bank repayable on demand. And Celtic's overdraft uh, in today's money, adjusted for inflation, is about £10 million quid i.e. 5 million in the early 90s is roughly about 10 million quid now. Rangers, on the other hand, with 2012, we all know, you know, they had the horrendous debt, uh, which I think from memory was down to about 18 million uh, by the time Rangers were sold uh, by David Murray to Craig White. On top of that, they had all these problems with uh, EBTs, which are continuing as we speak. So... Rangers' debts uh, were far more severe than Celtic's debts, but it didn't feel like that at the time. Celtic, in the early 90s, had ran out of money. Uh, the Taylor report was looming, so there was an enormous amount of money required to completely rebuild an all-seated stadium, which you really needed in order to create the base for earning the revenues that football in the latter part of the... Uh, professional football at the highest end, anyway, in the latter part of the 20th century required. So Celtic were, I suppose, extraordinarily fortunate in that they had Fergus McCann because Fergus McCann from day one always had a plan that involved him and others investing a substantial amount of money Uh, and he never deviated from that. So the first thing we needed was money and he had it. Uh, The second thing he needed was determination and balls uh, to see the plan through because it was always clear, not with hindsight, it was always clear at the time that uh, there would be lots of sirens trying to uh, divert uh, what was required you know, from, from its course of action. So Fergus ticked all those boxes. Uh, as we all know, he got in in March 1994, put, having put the money in, solved the immediate problem. The next thing he did was put in a management structure and set about raising more money from the fans within nine months uh, to create the capital base to rebuild that stadium and that's that plan was carried out to the letter it had to be carried out to the letter but the job of competing with our uh, age-old rivals was made far uh, extraordinarily difficult because across the, the city we had a guy who was spending more than the club was earning you know from day one 
he was an unreconstructed entrepreneur. Was that known to the people at Celtic and the, the SFA at the time, do you think? Well, you know, we were, well, the answer to that is yes, but all uh, we were interested in was fixing Celtic. You cannot build a business plan for your club uh, which takes into account what your rivals are doing. You know, what your rivals are doing, whether it's right or wrong, is not really relevant to what you have to do. If you have a crumbling stadium, uh, no management and a poor team, these are the issues you have to focus on. You can't focus on what the guy across the street's doing. This is what Dave King's doing just now. His business model, or, or all his talk, seems to be based on what we're doing. So he's going nowhere, you know, with his plans as far as far as I'm concerned. He should be looking at, you know, what should uh, what is good for Rangers, not uh, what's going on at Celtic. But the main point was we had a guy, in the opposition, uh, David Murray, running Rangers, who went on record and saying. For every £5 Celtic spend, uh, we are going to spend a tenner. So, if you interpret that literally, what that means, it doesn't matter you know, what we put into the team. Because I think David, David Murray uh, meant what he said. Even if we'd gone mad you know, with money and sort of cut back on the money we were going to build in, uh, your, the stadium with, or if we borrowed more money and we put a twice as expensive football team on the park. You've got a guy across the street, he's going to double it up again. So you're on a rocky road to nowhere. Uh, you're prejudicing the whole football club by pursuing a, a preposterous and ridiculous and reckless business plan. So Fergus McCann and the board, I have to say, this wasn't entirely the Fergus McCann show, the board were absolutely resolute in its determination to create the base, and that base was by raising the money and then building the stadium. You had to build the stadium, you didn't have a choice. Now, maybe what a lot of people, fans, didn't recognise at the time is what that means is you're going to have less money for the football team whilst you're spending money building the stadium. And building the stadium, as you know, took about four years. So for four years, uh, we were going to be having a really rough time when the guy across the street with the blue team is spending you know, reckless amounts of money. The situation was compounded, or the problems were compounded further, with uh, you know, the fans being absolutely petrified of the idea of Rangers you know, getting ten in a row. Uh, but again, you've got to be strong. You can't sort of uh, deviate from what's required by spending reckless amounts of money, trying to stop Rangers winning ten in a row, you know, when the guy across the street is saying he's going to spend twice what you're going to spend. So... You've got to do the best you can with what you can, and that's what Fergus McCann and the board did. And it was very, very difficult because we had lots of people sniping from the sidelines, people on our own side, I might add, who were very jealous of the fact that uh, Fergus had won the glittering green prize. Uh, we had fans who swear blind that they don't believe what they read in the papers, but they do. So the other thing that Celtic refused to do was to offer succulent lamb and fine French wines uh, to the mainstream Scottish media. Uh, the guys across the road are doing this. They're getting good press. And we've got a, a Celtic board that are not going to uh, play that uh, dishonest game. I'd call it dishonest. So we get bad press. They get good press. Fans believe the bad press. And the, the final factor, of course, is you've got... Uh, some very good players imported from overseas. Fantastic players, Decanio, 
uh, cadet, Hoi Donk, who play up to the fans' emotions by inventing problems with their contracts, kidding on they've been misled, when all the time all they were ever doing was using Celtic as a stepping stone uh, to somewhere better, you know, somewhere better usually meaning in, in, in England. So there's a whole lot of turmoil going on, and it was really, really uh, hard going. But you know, if there's a guy, if ever there was a guy that to, you know could pull this off in these extraordinary difficult times, it was McCann because they chose they chose the wrong person to mess with. Quite frankly, you are listening to the TSFM podcast. Don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk. You can subscribe to this podcast from there. Or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM. One of the questions that, that I had lined up to ask you was that uh, didn't Fergus actually play to some extent Murray's game? I mean, within a couple of years of Fergus leaving, Celtic had an unsustainable business model. Did he leave at least that legacy there for Celtic, or was or was he trying to tread the fine line between finding success and avoiding playing Murray's game? Well, when Fergus was there between 94 and 99 you know the key was the stadium because that is the the asset that's going to generate all the revenues that are going to give you more money to build better teams in the future so at the time you know that that was an inescapable fact that we were going to have less money you know for the football team but we did push out the boat as much as we could do you know we did uh, you know buy some very good players on premium wages and indeed premium transfer fees and uh, you know we got a bit lucky you know by winning the league Rangers squad was and was more expensive than ours to to to, uh, to stop the, the the 10 in a row but uh, by the time Fergus left uh, the stadium had more or less been paid for therefore there was more money available uh, for the team uh, and more money indeed was put into the team. So we did start putting more money into the team after the stadium was built, but we still got uh, the crazy folk across the road uh, you know, spending ridiculous amounts of money that they never had. Everybody knew, or they, everybody uh, at Celtic, and anybody with half a brain knew that uh, their business model was unsustainable uh, throughout the 90s and beyond. But, you know, when the economy is rocking and rolling, uh, when you've got uh, banks lending money to, uh, like it's gone out of fashion, not just to David Murray, to lots of individuals, lots of companies, lots of businesses, it's easy money to, to get. And lots of Scottish football clubs borrowed money they could not afford uh, at, at the time. Uh, and when the economy is really moving, that doesn't really make much difference. The problem uh, manifests or suddenly appears when a uh, the music stops, the economy stops growing, you go into recession and banks start uh, getting cautious and banks start asking for their, mo- their money back. That's when you've got a problem. But whilst the going was good, David Murray rode it spectacularly. Recently, Brian Dempsey uh, has been quoted as saying that he thought that the Bank of Scotland at the time when Fergus came in at the club were being extremely helpful. Fergus, on the other hand, has been quoted to say that he felt that they were, they were less than, than helpful. What's your vision of that as usual the truth uh, lies somewhere in between it is an absolute uh, matter of fact that the Bank of Scotland had lent Celtic £5 million and wanted it back it was an overdraft they wanted it back Uh, it was their entitlement to ask for it back and that's exactly what they did 
uh, Fergus McCann uh, paid off and Fergus McCann, it was only Fergus McCann just for the avoidance of doubt that was prepared to pay it off uh, so to that extent uh, you know, the bank were not helpful to Celtic because what they could have done is uh, once they saw that you now had good management uh, in the business once they saw that uh, that good management led by McCann was prepared to put their money where their mouths were, once they saw that uh, McCann and the others had a track record of success, once they saw all of this, they could have and did have uh, the option of supporting Celtic as their bankers going forward, and they declined to do that. So to that extent, the Bank of Scotland was not helpful, and uh, Celtic sought banking facilities elsewhere. Okay, so McCann's legacy then for Celtic is, uh, you know, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm inferring wrongly, but it's a stadium, because that was the job that he basically stuck around to do, was to build the infrastructure that the club could move forward from. But is is there a legacy for Scottish football from Fergus McCann? Well, I I think it's not entirely correct to say his legacy is, is, is the stadium. His, his legacy is one, uh, it was him and his money and his determination that saved the club from going into liquidation, uh, the same as Rangers did in 2012. Uh, his second legacy is uh, not succumbing to the forces of the day when the world and his wife, uh, fans, the opposition, uh, the rivals were all pursuing a, a reckless business model. He and the board, you know, had the balls to say, no, that's crazy, we're not doing that. That's a legacy. Uh, The stadium is a tangible legacy, but anybody listening to this or anybody with half a brain knows that uh, you have to create an infrastructure in order to survive in the the future. So it shouldn't just be viewed as a a stadium, it should be used as a platform, it should be viewed as a platform for Celtic to move forward uh, and which indeed they have done since so uh, that's his legacy And for Scottish football? And for Scottish football well Scottish football was in a mess then and Scottish football is in a mess now and you know I don't mind saying you know, I'm, I'm not uh, very uh, I'm not a great fan of Scottish football uh, I'm not a great fan of the SFA uh, I'm not a great fan of you know where Scottish football is going and uh, I thought in the 1990s and I continue to think that a club like Celtic which is amongst the biggest in the world uh, cannot stay amongst the biggest in the world if it's stuck in a little uh, backwater if you want Celtic to be a big fish in a small pond if you want Celtic to be uh, just doing the best it can uh, on, on, in the local market, you know, then you, you, your future is in Scottish football. But uh, if the Celtic uh, that you support, certainly the one that I support, is a is a, a, a team and a club that you want to see competing uh, in the latter stages of European competition, then you, you can't stay in Scotland. I mean, I started supporting Celtic in 1966 when I was eight, just when it was all taken off. So I've grown up with... Uh, you know, Leeds United and Milan's and Inter Milan's, Fiorentina's, uh, European quarterfinals, semi-finals and, si- and, se- and, and finals. That's what I'm used to, uh, and that's what I expect from Celtic. And I want to see those days return. I'm not prepared to settle for uh, winning a couple of European qualifying teams uh, rounds against Diddy teams. 
then uh, to struggle against uh, lesser teams with access to TV monies that we've not got, then get knocked out uh, early doors. I, I want Celtic playing in the Champions League uh, quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals, and uh, I do believe that's achievable, but not whilst we're stuck in the Scottish game. And all the time I've seen saying that, we've got to live within our means. I mean, I'm hardline McCann when it comes to money. Uh, but if you can get your hands on money legitimately uh, television money uh, then uh, I think Celtic with its fan base its infrastructure built in the 1990s uh, you know, can be uh, and should be one of the biggest clubs in the world You are listening to the TSFM podcast don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk you can subscribe to this podcast from there or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM. You talk about access to TV money. It's been uh, mooted, certainly on the TSFM, quite a lot. Uh, and by past uh, people who've done podcasts in the past with us as well, the this biggest single point of failure in world football is television money. Because the, the English Premiership, for instance, is the, you know, the whole business model is predicated on that huge amount of money coming from Sky. I mean, do you see that being sustained over the, the next 20, 30 years? Yeah, well, I, I don't know what's happening in two years, never mind 20 or 30 years. Uh, but what I, I, I do know with absolute certainty is it's not going to return to the way it was. Uh, I know there's lots of people would love uh, big clubs to be fan-owned, would love games to be played at 3 o'clock on a Saturday. There's fans that would love to have a, a fag and a can of uh, India Pale Ale. You know, uh, but you know these <laughs> days are gone. You know, uh, you have to move with the times. That doesn't mean the time. You know, every, everything's right, uh, but it is what it is, and you have to deal with that. So, television is here to stay. Television monies are here to stay, uh, and uh, Celtic, you know, have a problem because they can't get their hands on television monies that. Uh, you know, very average clubs can. Most of the teams that are in the Champions League just now are, are a lot smaller than Celtic, and uh, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. But uh, so we have to come up with a plan for getting uh, into, get our hands legitimately on these monies, and uh, you know that is the the Gordian knot, to use a task of Hercules. That's the challenge. And uh, another challenge for us is that we'll have to put India Pale on the the glossary on the website. Yeah, yeah, in the green tin, you know. <laughs> uh. Well, we've, we've discussed the fact that, that you obviously think that Murray's business model was flawed, but was what happened to Rangers always inevitable? Uh, or were there other paths that they could have taken even as, as late uh, as 2009, 2008? The business model was always flawed, and that's a fact. That's not with hindsight, uh, because the business model was always predicated on spending more than you're earning. It's quite easy to work out what a football club can earn. You know, if you've got a stadium that holds 50,000 and you multiply it by the, the price of a ticket, uh, add in television re- revenues in X, a, 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 X, Y and Z amounts for uh, a commercial uh, catering, etc., you know roughly you know what you're capable of earning. So if you've got a budget for your football team that's more than that, uh, you've got a problem. 
So you've got to keep topping up the losses. Uh, and over the years, you know, Rangers found ways to top up the losses. And it's easier to top up the losses, you know, when the economy is moving. Uh, David Murray took over Rangers in 1988 uh, and he started spending more than he was earning. And his first way of topping up the losses was to get the fans to give him like seven or eight million pounds for the club deck, which uh, I'm sure Rangers fans will remember was... Uh, you pay the club some money for the right to buy a ticket in perpetuity, you know, a total rip-off. But hey, you know, if you can get it, you know, why not? So that topped up the losses. Then a few years later, you know, uh, Joe Lewis, Daniel Levy, the guys that owned Tottenham, you know, invested £40 million, you know, for a 29.9% stake in Rangers. That topped up the losses, that money... uh, came and went and I think uh, Lewis and Levy uh, get next to nothing you know by the time the penny had dropped or the 40 million dollars had dropped more aptly uh, He'd also agreed to sell Rangers to Levy and Lewis hadn't he? That was one of the things that came out of that 40 million quid deal which people by and large ignored Well yeah I mean it's quite a complicated document, I've not looked at it recently but uh, it wasn't quite as simple as I agree to sell to you it was had full of conditions in it. Uh, one of them being, you know, if I if I ever agree to sell, uh, I will sell to I will, I will give you first option. But the point is that was money topping up the losses. Then there was another rights issue, you know, Dave King and a bunch of other guys, you know, put money in. And this is all topping up the losses, and all the time you, you, the economy when it's rocking and rolling, you can borrow money. And then one way of managing, you know, debt and losses is to play the transfer market. But I don't think Rangers did that well uh, playing the transfer market. There were some cute deals, you know, with uh, Trevor Stephen, Bernard Tappy, and Marseille in the early 90s. Rangers made some money from that. They made some money from Van Bronckhorst. But I'm sure if you add up, uh, you know, the pluses and minuses in the transfer market, that was money that was lost as well. So, you know, they managed to get away with it. They had another rights issue, you know, I can't remember. I mean, five, six, seven years ago, 50 million went in, but that was just shifting uh, one debt from Rangers onto the Murray International balance sheet. The reason why I'm mentioning all this, this was all topping up the losses when when you look at it in its most simple level. Rangers' problems came to a head in 2008 when the world economy almost collapsed into oblivion. That was like Rangers had been playing past the parcel with the money, and then when the music stopped, you know they were holding a shed load of debt. Uh, the banks were insolvent. Uh, the governments had to step in. You know Lehman Brothers was went went bust. That was the that was the the, the main catalyst. But suddenly, you know the game was over. Uh, Rangers' favourite bank, the Bank of Scotland, was taken over by Lloyd's TSB. The relationship that Rangers had with the senior bankers in Bank of Scotland was fractured. That was when the game ended. Uh, Lloyd's TSB's attitude more or less was, we don't care who you are or what you are. Gies were doback. That was their mantra. And they put a couple of guys on the board. And that's when uh, Rangers started to manage down their debt. And of course they were all complaining about it, all the... Rangers fans were complaining about it, but that was, uh, you know, the bank's uh, endeavour to get their money back uh, on behalf of their shareholders. So uh, that's when Rangers' problems really started, and 
David Murray, I would have uh, guessed, decided to try and get out. And uh, they were quite successful in reducing the bank debt. I think it went down to about 18 million or, or so. And David Murray went on record as saying, you know, I, I want to sell the thing, but I'm, uh, I'm only going to sell it to somebody with uh, the best interests of Rangers uh, at heart. And the man that he found with uh, Rangers' best interests at heart was, uh, was Craig White, you know, who... Uh He's become a bit of a, a kind of comic figure, hasn't he, uh, White, over the last... Well, certainly over the last year. Well, who thinks he's a comic figure? I don't think Rangers fans think he's a comic figure. Maybe Celtic fans think he's a comic uh, figure. Uh, well, I think, well, perhaps not comic, but ridiculous, then. Well, I'm actually, I don't know the guy. Uh, I just look at the facts, look at it objectively, uh, unemotionally almost. Uh, I don't look at it from a ha-ha-ha uh, Celtic perspective. And I don't look at it from a, a I hate the Rangers perspective. I just look at it for what it is. At the end of the day, he what he did initially was not that bad. I mean, he bought Rangers for a pound, uh, David Murray's shareholding for a pound, and that gave him control of Rangers. And it had this big, uh, whatever it was, we'll call it 18 million debt, so all he did with the ticketus money was swap one debt for another. Instead of having a debt with the Bank of Scotland, which had to get financed and had to get repaid, he got to the finance from ticketus, you know, to create a debt that had to be financed and repaid. That in itself is not a crime. Uh, what he was probably, or not probably, definitely wrong in doing is trying to hide the fact. If he'd actually sort of... Uh, said as much, which is easier said than done <laughs> you know, it's not that much of a big deal Rangers were using ticketus, you know before White came in, not to that extent that White did, but that's all he did what he was then, what then happened uh, was an extraordinary piece of bad luck, which happens in football you know, if bad luck's going to happen you know, it could happen <laughs> a lot of times it does happen and his extraordinary piece of bad luck, you know, was to get knocked out of uh, two European uh, competitions very early from teams you would expect Rangers to beat. That deprived them of a very significant income flow, you know, over uh, most of the season. And suddenly, uh, you know, they were starved. So what then happened, uh, I, I, what it looks like happened was uh, that they started using... Uh, tax that they deducted you know, from their uh, employees and uh, VAT uh, payments to finance uh, the negative cash flow and uh, you can only do that for so long but I, I, I actually believe that the plan all along was to put Rangers into administration uh, which ironically is what should have happened in the first place uh, and then uh, you start working on the solution so the problem was not created by Craig White. The problem was created by the previous board and the previous management. Craig White inherited that, and uh, and basically, he probably underestimated or definitely underestimated what he was getting into. Suffered some bad luck, and uh, and eventually did put the the thing into administration and a. St Valentine's Day 2012 I think it was You are listening to the TSFM podcast 
Don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk You can subscribe to this podcast from there or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM. That's the, the kind of the history of it all, but we are where we are today. And uh, after, not last uh, season, but the season before, uh, when Rangers did enter liquidation and the new club or company, as Rangers fans would insist, uh, was set up and, and was allowed into the league, people in TSFM are almost unanimous in their view that that should not have happened. What's your view? I know you can't speak for Fergus, but what do you think Fergus's view on that would have been? Do you think he would have saw Rangers as being a necessary uh, component of Scottish football? Well, I know the answer to that, and I don't mind telling you what the answer to that is. Uh, Fergus McCann, uh, like myself, and I have to tell you, like the Celtic board, uh, are of the unambiguous view that uh, we need Rangers, or a Rangers, uh, and the, the logic for that is the money they bring into the game and the competition that they create for Celtic. Any team that expires, uh, aspires sorry, to do well has to have competition. If you don't have competition, it's like a boxer sparring or it's like Andy Murray you know, has to uh, have a, a similar standard player to practice against. If you don't have a, a good sparring partner, that's the best analogy, is you're going to lower your standard. Your standard is going to fall and I don't want Celtic standard to fall. I want competition for Celtic to help us keep our standard up. So for that reason, I miss Rangers. Fergus McCann, which was your question, I'm telling you, uh, misses Rangers, as do the Celtic board. And, and if Celtic fans have been honest, and we're not talking about all the religious crap, we're talking about uh, opposition, uh, quality, uh, competition, uh, what I'm saying is logical and I think most people would agree with that if you put uh, the rivalry and the religious stuff to one side Rangers are missed and when, let's be clear here uh, when the SFA you know, bent over backwards to bring new Rangers into existence uh, they really wanted to parachute them into the Premier League and it was a shock, behind closed doors it was a shock you know, when uh, there was a fans rebellion of sorts yeah. to stop that happening so they then said you know, okay then, darn it, you know, we'll put them in the football league one or whatever it's called, uh, the championship it's called now, and when there was a rebellion against that, they were even more shocked. So they're absolutely gutted that yeah, the new Rangers ended up on the f- in the fourth tier. For all the reasons I've alluded to, competition and money has made it very difficult for all the other clubs uh, not having uh, new Rangers on the scene. Well, here's my take on it: is that uh, that yeah, I understand that Rangers do bring competition to Celtic, um, and if you see things through uh, a Celtic or, or even a, a West of Scotland prism, then perhaps then that is a logical answer. But is there a Celtic Rangers rivalry without all the baggage that you just spoke about? You know, if there, you take away the, the sectarianism, you take away the, the 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 religious stuff, is there a real sporting rivalry there? I don't know. Uh, that's a very difficult question. I mean, I've been to Lazio, Roma, the Milan derbies, Liverpool's, Arsenal's, Manchester's, mm-hmm. uh, most of them, and there's nothing like the Glasgow derby, and it pains me to say uh, it's because of the, the, the religious divide that adds that uh, extra degree of aggression, uh, distaste, and uh, to the rivalry. 
and even the fact that it's a brand new Rangers as far as and I'm not bitching here I mean this is a new club let's be clear about that mm-hmm. uh, which is get the same fans uh, but it's a brand new club uh, it's, it's Rangers in name and the rivalry is still there and the rivalry won't go away you can see that in all of social media I mean there's crazies on both sides and it's very difficult to have a logical debate it's very difficult to say something like I've just said it's a brand new Rangers club without getting a whole lot of crap thrown at you uh, you should be able to say that because it's true but uh, you, you get uh, there's, there's lots of crazies out there so then for, for, from a financial point of view uh, then it's you would prefer that if Rangers uh, were were back to where they were uh, or A Rangers were back to where the old Rangers were but what about a, well, sport, no, what about a sporting I, point of view I want to just correct you in that uh, you know you said back to the way they were mm. uh, I weren't uh, the Rangers uh, back in the Premier League adding competition to Celtic I'm, you, I'm not suggesting uh, you know they should go back to the way they were which is what you said I don't know if you meant it literally back to the way they were means like spending more than they were earning yeah thinking they're masters in the universe and uh, get some sort of uh, privileged entitlement to, to be something they're not. I mean, those days are gone. Uh, the financial backdrop landscape has changed, you know, for a generation. And Rangers, and I would say the same if it was Celtic, I might add, so let's, we're not making a cheap point here. Those days that a lot of Rangers grew up with between the mid-80s right up to 2008 are gone. Uh, we are operating in a debt-free, which means no bank debt, environment. Every club has to live within its means because, unless there's some crazy sugar daddy, oligarch or Arab, you know, that wants to, uh, uh, doesn't care about the money. It's just like buying a yacht, you know, I've got a football club. Unless the, the owner or something like that, uh, those days are gone. Uh, Rangers have to live within their means. This is the way it was up to the 1980s. There was no football debt in Scotland. What's happened since the mid-80s to 2008 is the exception, not the rule. Uh, All the clubs that had borrowed more money than they could ever repay have gone bust. Rangers went bust, Hearts went bust, Dunfermline went bust, and I think the bank's just taken a big hit in uh, Kilmarnock. That was the four clubs, Uh, and there's been some sort of reconstruction investment there. This is We're going through the process of banks exiting from football, and there will be no bank debt in Scottish football for the foreseeable future so every club uh, has to live within its means for the foreseeable future and that de facto means that uh, the the Rangers that all uh, the Rangers fans grew up with are gone and uh, quite frankly you know Dave King's talking a lot of tosh when uh, when he's coming out with we have to spend 30 million and we have to compete with Rangers uh, Celtic sorry you cannot build a business model on what your rival has or what your rival is doing. You have to look at what your club is doing and you have to deal with the facts. And in a lot of uh, respects, Rangers right now are very similar to where Celtic were in 1994, coming from behind. Uh, Rangers need a five-year plan which involves accepting that all these crazy uh, high-spending days are over, accepting that they're not entitled to anything, you've got to earn it, uh, involves taking this five-year view and building from behind and hoping that you uh, get up uh, to the level that our Celtic's at uh, as quickly as possible. 
don't, don't you think that perhaps they've got an even steeper gradient than, than McCann faced in, the, in view of the fact that they've recently had a, a share issue uh, which was uh, subscribed to and the money's all gone so it's, it's not so easy to go back and get more is it? Well yeah I mean that was a fantastic opportunity absolutely blown I mean we've been talking about David Murray and his era we then talked about the Craig White era which was actually uh, a very brief era mm-hmm. but what happened uh, to Rangers subsequently is the real story I mean it was a, I suppose it was a magnificent achievement to raise 22 million at an inflated valuation that was a, that was a fantastic thing to do but that was a, also a fantastic opportunity to give Rangers a fantastic start, restart, rebirth but that was that was squandered so they're almost like back to what, where they started why, why do you think it was well, squandered and how? They were, well they were, again it's probably the Rangers fans listening it probably sounds very bitchy but it's true they, none of the big fancy show off Rangers fans stepped up to the plate none of them, not one of them there was no McCann there was no plan uh, there was no acceptance of the position they were in, and it was left to you know uh, a loudmouth Yorkshireman to step up to the plate, you know, using somebody else's money. So they've only got themselves to blame in that respect. Nobody stepped up to the plate, and nobody, quite frankly, has stepped up to the plate subsequently. Uh, so Charles Green and his acolytes raised twenty-two million pounds in the city, and then blew it. Mm-hmm. There's no point getting into how they blew it because we all know how they blew it, and that was a fantastic opportunity squandered. And they're now back to square one, a club with no money, with no controlling shareholder, no figurehead, no plan, and it's quite unfortunate if you're a Rangers fan, you know, to face those facts, and few of them do. But the only thing that will solve Rangers, Rangers problem is money uh, and leadership. Uh, because there is nobody in control if anybody's in control it's a bunch of uh, anonymous investors in the city uh, most of whom paid 70 pence now they're never going to see that 70 pence again or not in the foreseeable future Uh, Rangers has to raise equity Uh, it can only raise the equity in the city uh, if it has an acceptable business model which involves cost cuts uh, if you can get the cost cuts through they will raise the money in the city and the fans will also have a chance to put money in and all the loudmouths that talk to the mainstream media will have the chance to put money in uh, and they can start again but they have to start again with a sustainable business model So is that what you would do? You, you would, uh, like, I suppose what the, what the current chief executive is doing he's, he's, he's trying to put a business plan in place that's going to be attractive to people in the city to try and raise some money but but how does that go with, with the, the, the expectations of the fans? Well I, I can't speak for the fans, I know that they've got some crazy fan leaders who just don't get it, they're still stuck in Masters of the Universe grove, groove uh, what the Rangers board's doing is patently the, the right thing to do They've got the right board doing the right things and saying the right things. 
we've got a chief executive that said he's going to have a 120 day review and quite frankly that's a reasonable period to have that review to find out exactly what not, not too long then no. not too long I mean he's got to find out exactly what he's in charge of exactly what the problems are exactly what's required to fix those problems and he should basically should be given the 120 days to come up with uh, that business plan but you've got all these sirens it's a bit like McCann you know this uh, he's the stranger that's come to town you know and you've got all these guys that hang about in the, the boardroom uh, you know are jealous of this fact and they talk to the media and uh, you get a whole lot of nonsense in the press you've also got fans getting manipulated uh, you know about their season ticket monies I mean, withholding your season ticket money is just about the worst thing you could do to Rangers. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that, you know, uh, judging by what uh, you know their fan leaders say. You've also got these fan leaders, you know, talking about getting a the nomad changed. I mean, if I actually get a good nomad, why on earth would you want to do these things? It's like crazy. If there's a crazy thing or a wrong decision to be made, some of these Rangers fan leaders will make it. I, th- I think the problem with the Nomad was that it appeared to be Charles Green's people. Uh, uh, it was uh, Daniel Stewart, isn't it? This, this is just nonsense. I mean, absolute nonsense. At the end of the day, Daniel Stewart is a pucker name, and uh, you know they're the Nomad. Why on earth would you want to get rid of them? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. Well, there's no reason, unless you've got a personal agenda. That's the only reason. You are listening to the TSFM podcast. Don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk You can subscribe to this podcast from there or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM. So there's, there's, there's two, the way I see it at the moment, there are kind of two branches or strands, if you like, of this argument. One is what, what the Rangers do in order to get to where they want to be, where their fans want them to be. And I think you've made the case to say that, yeah, well, what they have to do is get a business plan in place that's going to be attractive to people in the city, raise some money, and accept that it's going to take them some time. Uh, Five years, ten years? Yeah. Well, hey, five. Call it five years. <laughs> Three years if you want. At the end of the day, they're coming from behind. Mm-hmm. You've got to accept your predicament. You've got to accept what's happened. You've got to accept where you are, and you've got to have a plan uh, to get back to from whence you came as best you can. And that involves uh, coming from behind. So you've got to raise the money. Uh, you will raise the money if you have a sustainable business plan, and each year you should hope to get better. But you cannot take a quantum leap uh, uh, based on what your historical rival may or may not doing. It's, it's crazy. Isn't it also difficult, though, um, if for any club uh, who want to compete with Celtic, for instance, Celtic have got a 60,000-seater stadium. Rangers have got 10,000 less. So assuming both of them fill the stadiums, which is a big assumption, I, I know, Rangers are starting off from a, a bit of a handicap there, aren't they? At its most uh, simple, yes. I mean, if you accept the premise that there's no bank debt in Scottish football, which is a pretty reasonable premise to accept, that means the amount of money you've got to to put into your team is based on the amount of money you generate. So using what you've just said as an example, that means over the course of a year, you know, if Celtic have 10,000 seats more than Rangers and they fill them, that's 10,000 seats more of income that Celtic will have uh, over and above Rangers and then you know if you apply a similar multiplier to the amount of jerseys and pies and macaroon bars 
and television monies they can get. You know, Celtic, you know, should have a, in theory, a small economic advantage over Rangers. Where the, uh, the picture changes dramatically is determined by who's playing in Europe because you're only allowed one team in the Champions League at the, min- the minute, I think I'm correct in saying, because the coefficient is so poor. So the team that wins the league, you know, is going to, uh, and qualifies, if, they, if indeed they do qualify for the, for the Champions League, uh, is going to have an economic advantage uh, over the other. So that's where the rivalry is. Uh, uh, so if, once, if you're in Europe, you're going to have more money than, you, than your rival. But Celtic have got an inbuilt uh, advantage, not a big advantage, because they've got more seats. But then again, you know, they're going to, that only is relevant if you're selling them. This is true of Celtic and Rangers. The long-term average crowds, you know, for Celtic and Rangers are in the thirty thousands, not the fifty or the sixty thousands. The type of crowds that you're seeing uh, at Celtic and Rangers only really started. Uh, in the 1990s and quite frankly ended in my opinion, this is now an opinion uh, you know, a few years ago so you're seeing more and more empty seats at Celtic and Rangers and that's because I do believe that the crowds are reverting back to the long term mean because uh, Scottish football quite frankly is, is not that exciting for all the reasons we've alluded to Perhaps even longer than that in terms of the, the, the crowds can do. I do, I do remember uh, commentating at matches uh, in 2004, 2005 and seeing big gaps mm-hmm. and yet the, you know, the crowd at Celtic Park would be uh, you know, put down as 58,000 and clearly there's yeah. nothing like that there. You know? yeah. so, so I think maybe the, that, that demise is, is going on a wee bit longer. Yeah. But the other, the other side of that equation is what there was an opportunity, there is still an opportunity uh, for the rest of Scottish football, for the rest of the teams in Scottish football. It seems to me that only Celtic are really financially disadvantaged by not having Rangers in the top league. But there are opportunities for the likes of Aberdeen, Motherwell, and the United and, and, and everybody else to uh, to throw their hat into the ring as being the, the, the main challenger. Yeah, well, that, that's true again. What's happening is that Celtic's revenues, if you put European revenues aside, Celtic and Rangers' revenues are falling because the crowds are falling. On the other hand, because there's more competition, you'll find that the other team, bigger teams' revenues are probably rising. The Aberdeen in particular, who are easily the third biggest team in Scotland, uh, they're, they're rising. So what's happening is the gap between Celtic and Rangers and the rest is is narrowing the financial gap that is although it's still enormous the gap is narrowing uh, and that usually means there's more competition uh, so how so how could we help to 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 speed that up how could we help to to make it not just a one horse or a two horse race how can how can we help is gate sharing an option well well, it is an option, but it's, an, it's not an option that's going, going to happen because if you share gates, I mean, you, that's basically Celtic and Rangers subsidising or giving away uh, income to, to the others. And what you'll then have is certainly, or what you would have is certainly a much more competitive Scottish game, uh, but very much more akin to, say, the, the Irish leagues, both of them. You know, being champions of uh, really, really the FAI or the IFA. That bad? It, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't see uh, much difference at all between Scotland and uh, and uh, the FAI and, and, and uh, 
in the much, much, much bigger crowds, even if you take yeah, out yeah, Celtic. Yeah, yeah, but again, Rangers. they'll start. They'll start to wane. You know, there's because of the television, because of multimedia, because of just modern day communications. You know, young kids are into the Premiership in a way that previous generations haven't. They're into world football. You know, I'm going to Paris Saint Germain, Chelsea next week because my sons want to go. You know, it's. Uh, you know, the world is your oyster if you're a mm-hmm. sports fan and, and I think uh, you'll end up with uh, kids supporting their local team you know, Celtic and, and, and Manchester United or Barcelona I mean Barcelona is very popular among Celtic fans no I'm, I'm not really interested I don't have a second favourite team you know I only have one team and all I'm interested in is seeing my team you know, competing with Barcelona, that's why I'm quite depressed about the outlook for Scottish football and, and Celtic in particular. And that's why, you know, I, I think Celtic's interests are best served outside of Scotland. This seemed to be that, you know, that you don't really have a lot of hope for Scottish football in, in the long term uh, at all because you see Celtic's future is perhaps being outside Scottish football if they can pull that, that, that one off. Would it not be preferable? If we could have better competition to bring the others up to the level of Celtic and Rangers, for instance, and yeah, that's happening, John. That is that's happening, but you know, there's going to be more competition in Scotland, but it's at a lower level. It means when you step up to the plate in Europe, that step is much more steep, and that is not. You know, I don't want to be uh, you know champions of Scotland at a lower level and get humped in Europe. Every year, like Shamrock Rovers or whatever, or Celtic last year, <laughs> or, or Celtic last yeah. year, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'll still support Celtic, but that's not my Celtic. My Celtic wins games in Europe, and if we are champions, if we get more competition in Scotland, that's great. But it's going to be at a lower level, but it's not going to help us in the European arena, and that's not the Celtic I I want to see. But isn't that a long-term plan as well to accept it? You know, things have to get equalised a wee bit, perhaps at a lower level, in order to try and build the game as a whole. Is is that an unrealistic, even altruistic approach that's just a wee bit too much? I think it's too altruistic. I mean, at the end of the day, I can only say what I think and what I want. I want Celtic playing in uh, the English or British Premiership. That's what I want. I believe it's what the Celtic board wants, it's what the Ajax board wants, because they've got the same problem. It's what the Benfica board want, because they've got the same problem, being big fish in small ponds. And uh, I think if Celtic got their hands on uh, the money that uh, their rivals have got, they could, they're capable of being as good as anybody and winning the Champions League. That's what I want. That's where my ambition lies. Uh, it's not in being champions of uh, a competitive Scottish league at a, a Diddy level. It's not... That's not for me, although I will obviously remain a Celtic fan, let's be clear about that. Uh, actually getting, achieving that ambition is uh, extraordinarily difficult. It was David uh, Murray's ambition you know, in the early 90s. It was talked about uh, at Celtic in the early 90s. We're still talking about it now, and it's still not happened, and there's nothing to suggest it will happen any time soon. But it is the the major problem facing Celtic, no question uh, about that at all. And the major problem facing Scottish football is it just has to get realistic about there's there's little hope for the future then? Well, that's Scottish football. I'm talking about through a Celtic prism. Uh, The other thing you ask, I I think, well, for one, I actually think Scottish football would be a better place without Celtic or, or Rangers for that matter. It would be a far more competitive league. Uh, people like fans of other football clubs like watching a team that wins and I think you would have a very exciting 
uh, Scottish League without Celtic and Rangers. Uh, crowds would go up, and uh, there'd be a lot of good games to be seen. Uh, so I think by saying that I'd like Celtic to play be playing in England, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not to the detriment of Scottish football. David, thanks a lot. The probs. You are listening to the TSFM podcast. Don't forget to visit us at www.tsfm.org.uk. You can subscribe to this podcast from there or directly from the iTunes store. Just search for TSFM.